From Carry the Load, these are lessons from the front. Stories of service and sacrifice from our military, veterans, first responders, and their families. Thanks for tuning into this, our 60th episode of Lessons from the Front. As this is a Carry the Load podcast, it made perfect sense to sit down with one of our founders, Clint Bruce. If you've never met or heard Clint speak, let me set it up this way. Naval Academy, check. NFL linebacker, check. Navy SEAL, check. Entrepreneur, check. Father to three girls and a husband to a committed and patient wife, check. Beyond this, I'll tell you that Clint is one of those people who, when he starts talking, you just kind of lean in a little bit because you don't want to miss what he might have to say next. Please like and subscribe if Clint's episode resonates with you at all. We want more people hearing from these great Americans. And with that said, here's my interview with Clint Bruce. No self-deprecation. Were you a good SEAL? I wouldn't have. I mean, I, I jokingly consider my, it depends on how you're measuring it, right? From the hardcore operational skills, it wasn't hard to find someone that could run, run faster, swim faster, shoot better, climb higher than me. Um, I, I've, I try to be good in, in the consistency things, taking care of the boys, understanding the mission, you know, equipping and, and because they do the work anyway. Right. So, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to think so. Okay. I, I'm not, I'm not avoiding your question. I just don't spend a lot of time. Um, Reflecting. On yeah. That. I just kind of rely on it. Okay. Like I'll do a, here's an O I tend to measure O's by how many of the guys work for you again. Right. And, and, and O is an officer. O is an officer. And I, and I stay in great touch with the guys I got to serve with and, and what a privilege it was. So I, mean, I, I didn't suck. So then what made you, and, and I, I would agree, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, measuring their willingness to, to pick up the phone when you call, their yeah. willingness to, to be there if you need them. Or reaching out to me when they need something. Like Absolutely. That's the metric for me is like, who, who knows they can call me? And so then what made you a good SEAL? I love, I love the mission and I love the guys and I love being able to attack problems creatively with the resources made available to us. Uh, and one of those resources is this incredible demographic of, of warfighter, you know, called the, the Navy SEAL and the SWIC and the intelligence officer that are with us and the Marines that we work with, right? Um, I love attacking hard problems with great teammates. And to do that, that's what I always loved about football. And to do that on a no-fail terrain against an ideological adversary uh, was in some ways kind of the peak of existence of purpose to me. Um, and that's what I loved about it. Tough question. Mm -hmm. I've never asked you this. We've never talked about it. Okay. Did you ever lose a man in, uh, in service? Uh, not during an op. No, really fortunate from that perspective. Um, I've been close by it. I've have, uh, uh, been in the community when it happened. Right. But never. Never like some of my friends have had to endure, like in the midst of a mission while you got a steep fight and never, never had to endure that. Did you ever lose a man in your unit? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I lost, I lost a lot. I lost quite a few. I say a lot. Over time, we've lost a lot. You know, during, during our, yeah, we lost guys. Did you ever have to make that phone call to somebody's family? Yeah. I, I, I had to, I think she'd be 
okay with me saying this, but you know, I was I had I went down and told Taya that we lost Chris and the kids and man, that Keiko, that casualty officer job is just heartbreaking. And um I'm amazed. I've always been amazed at the strength of our women and our families. And that night was no different. Um watching her and Chris's parents just be heroic and epic despite this unbelievable heartache. Um, but all of us who have done that, done that notification job, it is a uh, club no one wants to be a part of. Um, and you just try to do it. Um, and since then, I've had to be the, the guy that calls other guys and say, hey, this just happened, right? And um, it's never easy, and you don't want to do it, but you don't, you don't want people finding out the wrong way or from someone who's not going to feel. I've always felt like delivering that kind of news is more palatable to the person maybe when they can see that you're as broken as they are about you're not. I mean, like, but you're broken too, saying, hey, we lost this person. Um, but I, I would tell you that like a lot of the casualty, all the guys who've been that notification, Keiko, um, that's the stuff we'd never, ever, ever want to do again. Did you learn anything about yourself when you had to do it? No, I, that's a, I love that question. One of the questions people ask me all the time is like, what did I learn in the SEAL teams? What did I learn from these things? I didn't learn, here's what I learned during those moments. I learned that the people that love me most, who told me the hardest things were telling me the truth. So for me, those moments are more proving grounds than laboratories, right? It's applied knowledge. It's the application of a, of a lesson your dad told you when you were 15 and you weren't listening. Oh, this is what he meant, right? And, and uh, so for me, those moments are um, crystallizations. It's like aggregated knowledge you learn along the way, right? And that's why I think <clears throat> we were talking about this earlier. I've, I, my gift is not being gifted in what I've always – I've always kind of said it like this. If you and I are competing in something, this deviates a little bit from that question, but it'll circle back to it. If you and I are competing in something and I'm remembering and you're learning, I'm going to win because remembering is faster than learning. Right? And I think if you say you want to be a leader, you have to be a knowledge carnivore because if you don't, you're going to put yourself in a position where you've got to learn when there may not be time to learn. But if you can remember, you've got a chance, right? Um, and I think in those moments, I, I remembered more than I learned. And I learned that the best things I remembered were true. And the people who love me most were telling me the truth all along. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been, I mean, if you interview 10,000 people over the course of these, I'm, I might be the wealthiest when it comes to mentors, friends, relationships, the people that have been around me that poured into me. You said this earlier, like self-deprecating. Like in my mind, it's not. I just, it's just honest. Like I'm just being true. Like I'm not, I'm not deflecting. I'm describing the supply chain. You see this, and it's, but, but this is like the right side of an equal sign. It's important to me that you see, you know, this guy plus this gal plus this coach plus 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 right. So for me, it's, it's less deflection and more description of the supply chain of that thing someone saw and wants to learn more about. Was there anything that uh, in the teams you didn't get to do that you always wanted to oh, do? Oh, there's so much. So much. Like, I would love to have done more operations, love to have 
love to have, uh, I think all of us wish we would have done more and given the chance to, you know, hunt more bad guys and, and work with, a, yeah, I mean, there's a laundry list. You know, I feel that same way about football. I wish I'd been able to make more tackles and all this other stuff. Like, if you ever do anything you love, you're always going to feel like you didn't get to do enough of it. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I still, I, I try to find ways to stay connected to the things I love that, that help make me because I don't want to lose those lessons that taught me while I was doing it, if that makes sense. So, so the lessons that you were taught, you know, let's, let's, let's talk about the, uh, about the training. There's been a lot of stuff in the news lately yeah. uh, about the teams. Um, some people are kind of giving it the old, you know, you know it's, it's so hard and that's what's contributing to the, you know, to the mental you know, challenges and, um, it's supposed to be hard. I I don't disagree. Yeah, but I mean, you know, honestly, the the first thing that comes to mind when I see a lot of that stuff is the criticism that came from this one guy towards the police about the the way they conduct themselves, and they said, you know, they invited him out, so why don't you come through some of the training? Yeah, empathy's a heck of a thing. It, it is a heck of a thing. So, and the, and the problem with our training is you, unless you experience what we're training for. You can't fully appreciate our training, right? And and there's no way you want to experience what we're training for, because that's terrifying. That's that's also what you're built for, right? So, um, you know, but I, I always like you. You've changed the process. You change the product, and that doesn't mean we don't need to take a hard look at things. We always need to take a hard look at things. Um, but if you look at the number of men that have made it through Hell Week, vice the ones that we've lost during Hell Week. Statistics are wildly for how we do things, and 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 you know the the, the men that we lost during training is it's tragic, it's heartbreaking. I'm not marginalizing any of that, but the numbers wildly represent success, you know, in, in, a, in a process, and therefore the product, right? Um, and it's interesting to me that the, the harshest critics are the ones that have never done it, never experienced it, nor nor been where we do our work, right? I mean, it is so important that you understand the limits of your capacity before you're tested at that capacity in a no-fail environment. And that's what Hell Week and training is built to do, is to pre-familiarize the human performance machine, body, brain, mind, soul, with that this and no further moment before you get to that this and no further moment. Do you think these these young kids though? Do they really, really understand what they're signing up? To? I don't think so. I, shoot, I don't think I, mean, I did. did. You? I don't think I did. Right? I mean, I think I, I think maybe the difference between me and some of the young folks today is I I knew I didn't know. Right? Mm -hmm. And I think again, this is not a moral indictment. This is just an observation. When you play these hyper immersive, hyper authentic first person shooters. You can benignly convince yourself that you're experienced. And, and oh, by the way, if you put something under a functional MRI, right, and you have them play this game, and you have someone wear a wearable EEG on the field, like, you, you won't be able to, you, you'd be hard-pressed to discern which one was doing it for real and which one was playing mm -hmm. the game, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I, when I say that I think some of the young folks think they've done it before, there's a physiological uh element to that like from the from the brain's perspective they have done it before right and so again it's that double-edged sword of understanding kind of neuroscience in the brain which i'm not representing that i do by the way because all, all the leaders are like clint neuroscience off 
right? <laughs> so, but again, no, but, I, so I, I don't think it's a, I don't think it's an arrogance. I don't think it's a. Well, and I, and I'm trying to look at this from the standpoint of, you know, I want to, I want to look at it from the other side because I know, sure. I know what my opinion. Well, is. we have to, we have to have that advers- yeah. adversary mindset. Like and we and have so, to... you know, if if I want to be a cynic about it, mm-hmm. my, my mind is going to go all the way to the, you know, to the other side. And if I'm going to see it like these people who are critical. I'm looking at it going, okay, well, then you know what? The reality is our government is just using these kids as pawns mm-hmm. for a much greater um, uh, you know, mission out there that really doesn't benefit them. Well, and then, and then you know, the, the guy on my other shoulder says, no, it doesn't benefit them, but it benefits a greater cause. And to quote our old friend Woody Williams, the mm-hmm. cause is greater than I, mm-hmm. which we need more of in right. my opinion. So right. you know, I try to look at it from both sides, but I'm, I'm, I really do I have a hard time you know, with, you know, with these people who are so critical of the man in the arena. Yeah. Yeah. I and mean, I, I, you know, I'm content to not have harmony with everybody. I just, I think that friction produces refined thinking. Right. So having this homogenous opinion, I don't think it benefits anything in the long run. So I, I'm okay with just not agreeing. Too much um, harmony creates a lot of complacency. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like we see that in the community. In the community, you know, when they're when they're tweaking the training and stuff like that to produce, they're trying to. Then you got a bunch of you know six foot tall, hundred and ninety pound perfect athletes that can't carry a sixty up a side of a mountain. Like, but that that friction inside the platoon produces a better patrol route, right? You have a bunch of triathletes picking the patrol route. That's when you're gonna you have, you have nothing dragging you out of that natural preference, right? Right. You got to have that one big guy. Was like, I'm not carrying that up that right, and, and so that friction of opposing opposing. <laughs> I don't go that line, way like, it, because y'all hey, are going to expect me hey, to buddy, do all the carrying. See those squiggly things? <laughs> That's called a contour line. You just told me to hump a sixty up in a fifty count of mortar base plate up. Like I'm not doing that right. But that 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 tension produces. I mean, think about this: if you had an NFL team that was made of, let's DK Metcalf is probably one of those spectacular athletes that's ever lived on the planet. Mm-hmm. But if you had a team. Of 11 DK Metcalfs on offense, 11 DK Metcalfs on defense, they'd never win. Right. They'd never win. No. Because it takes that 330-pound guy. I mean, so that diversity produces a refined decision, right? And 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 I think that, and, so it's okay. And that and that diversity goes way beyond the the physical side of it. Yeah. You know, that you know, diversity is a good thing. So the pressure being placed on the SEAL community to change training, if it produces a, 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 a refining of the training and it reaffirms why we do things the way we do, then at the end of the day, it was good. We recommitted to principles that we believe to be um, unflinching and, mm-hmm. and proven. And maybe we only did that because people are telling us we're wrong. We got to change. Right. Um, but I don't envy leadership right now. Leadership's got some, some challenges that it's, that's how to navigate. Right. There's also this idea of, of steroids happening, mm. um, which you know, given what's happened in the baseball world, the football world, it's kind of easy to understand, you know, how, because obviously the similarities and in, in the, uh, there, there's, there's a lot of, of similarities between military and, uh, well, we're just tactical know, professional athletes. sports. I mean, we're yeah. tactical professional athletes. Right. And so, you know, when you, when you look at it that way, and that's a really good way to put it. Um, but it's easy to see how people, Hey, I want to keep performing. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure this guy to my left and to my right are not yeah. are, are not leaving me behind because I'm just not able to perform. Yeah. So they default to to things that will help them heal faster. 
what was that ever even out there when you when you were yeah, there? Well, see, you and I grew up in the eighties when roids were the big deal. Yeah, like Tony Mandarich, all these other things, right? Um, and so, yeah, those things I heard are, about th- it. Those things are prevalent. Those things are, those things are out there. I would tell you, I grew up in an era, and I maintain this: that anything you use to get better that you don't have when you're doing a thing is an ultimately a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. So we use it to get there, but you can't take it with you when you're doing the thing. You're not helping yourself, right? And the and the human machine is 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 so so tuned together that there's a yang to every yin, right? And yin. Um, but but my deal is like, man, if it is like when I used to do powerlifting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everyone wore these like bench press shirts, right? And I never wanted to wear a bench press shirt. Because my deal is like that's not how strong you are. That's how strong you are with a shirt on. But that's not how strong you are. Like if, if you're on the farm, and you, and and the, and the and the real concern I have, and this is me. I'm not judging. This is me. If if you if you develop a belief that you can lift this because you did while you're wearing that bench press shirt, then all of a sudden you go to try to lift it because you did, but you don't have the bench press shirt. Mm-hmm. And you've just made a decision that could cost you and those depending on you greatly. Yes. And, and and so for me, like subsidizing yourself, creating a perception of capability, then making decisions based on that perception, but that perception is inaccurate because you had this while you did that. I was like, when I lift, man, there's no there's no wraps, there's no weight belts, there's no because my deal is like if you need a weight belt to lift it, don't lift it. I mean, you're augmenting, yeah. right? And and that and that's that's for me is always kind of been the, if you can't do it, no matter how hard you try, then maybe you should be doing something else. And I used to tell guys this during Hellwake, he's like, hey man, you're not a quitter, you just didn't finish. This is hard, by the way. The quitter is the guy who said he was going to, but he never even swore in. And guys were thinking about quitting, man, I just make them quit. And I was like, listen, there's something you would rather die than quit at. And I want you doing that. Like, I want you doing the thing that you'd rather die than quit. That's what the nation needs you doing. So let's go find. So that. you were an instructor? No, no, no. Okay. This is what, like when I was going through. I was in my own class. Okay, okay. Yeah, sir, sir. I'm thinking about quitting. I'm like, quit. He quit. I heard him. He said he quit. I'm like, no. I was like, hey, listen. The line between thinking about quitting and quitting is really thin. And once it enters your consciousness, it's a it becomes potential, right? Yeah. And and I love you too much to hate you one day. Is, is there one event, one impressionable moment that really stands out in your mind? that if you boiled everything down to that one moment and from that moment you take away a lesson that you can go to Amy and the girls with oh yeah and say okay i, I want to tell you this story that happened yeah yeah 100% and i want to tell you the lesson yeah i mean i tell a lot of people this story right and without going too deeply into the context of the wins and wears and and all that other stuff i would tell you that we just got done doing something that was really good and done a great job of it and i was a young guy and i remember turning and looking at my chief and the senior enlisted man the senior if the, if the enlisted or the backbone the senior enlisted or the spinal cord you know i mean that and my my senior enlisted he was amazing you know big guy played linebacker at fresno state had been in the seal teams for a long time i should put me through hell week as one of my hell week instructors and uh always wanted to prove myself worth him and we did a good thing and we're getting ready to go do it again and i said hey chief the boys were excellent and we ought to do something for him and he stopped dead in his tracks and he turned and looked at me he goes 
Hey, sir, the reward for excellence is no punishment. I'm not here to be excellent. I'm here to be elite. I'm not done yet. He stomped off. And for me, that, that, that has maybe been one of the most influential things anybody's ever said to me because it made a lot of my past make sense, and it, and it shaped my future. And in that moment, I flash back to my father's funeral. And I, I don't remember a lot about my dad's funeral. I remember how many people were there. It was amazing. It was, it was a, a real tribute to him, just to the capacity that was filled. And I remember one of his best friends reading Jack London's Credo. And it was, I'd rather be ashes and dust. I would rather be a splendid magnetor, meteor with every atom. And it ends with the proper function of man is to live, not merely to exist, I should not waste my days trying to prolong them. I will use my time. And that not done yet kind of person is who I've always, when I was growing up, that's who I naturally migrated towards. When I've been doing my, this is who I want to be around, and it's who I'm chasing, right? And that, that for me would be the definitive statement by someone I respect and, and, and that has shaped a huge part of my life on every one of those maps. So how do you mold that into a lesson and how do you expect your daughters to carry that lesson out? Yeah. One, there's an element of redemption to it, right? Cause my, I tell them, I like, Hey, there's time on the clock. You're not done. Like if you woke up and God's got something great for you today. Right. So it's, you know, redemption is relevant is recognizing you still have relevance right hey if there's time on the clock you're not done yet right you you, you know you got to punch your chance and everything you try to do um so never count yourself out you know i i, I jokingly I, I it's not a joke i tell people i'm an achieving average i'm not an average achiever it's a little bit of play on words when i say i'm an achieving average what i mean by that if you aggregate all my gifts and abilities You'd find me to be a high C or a low B in just about everything except for looks. I'm good looking. Like, I get it. I know you, y'all be like, he's a cancer. Like, I know. I walked out of the house this morning. This one's not going to be on video. Yeah. Because I, walked out, I walked out of the house this morning and I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror and I turned to look at Amy. I said, hey, babe, I can turn it down, but I can't turn it off. It just is what it is. And uh, I'm not. We all know. And she this. threw a shoe. Yeah. She laughed at me, uh, just like you did. It's pretty hurtful. So let me hit you right between the yeah. red lights with this. I want you to find in your memory bank mm -hmm. a day in your life that you would love to relive or you could never relive again. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. So, so here's why that's a hard question to answer well i'm not going to give you an easy one. well no i'm not you know but, but, the, but the hard question to answer is one there's so many of them and then two i don't see value in not having lived that hard day whatever the hardest day was whether it was when i lost my father when it was you know losing friends what it was ever like there's there's some marrow that can be mined out of that moment that makes you better later I say okay. this. I say this all the time. Like, I, there's, I, I wouldn't do. If I could, if I had a time machine, I could go back. I wouldn't do anything different, but I'd do almost everything differently. So, so let, between the two. so let me help you narrow it down. Yeah. Then. Let's, let's go to a day in service mm -hmm. that you would love to relive. The relive one's easier. You I lived were, when Amy was. 
seven months pregnant and come home, came home when Maddie was eight months old, seven months old. Okay. So you were deployed to where? <laughs> Middle East. Okay. So you're Middle in the- East and PACOM. So I did, I did multiple ones to PACOM, CENTCOM, PACOM, CENTCOM. We split the two. Uh, and that one was PACOM. That one was the Pacific. So she's, Amy's seven months pregnant. Mm-hmm. You, you leave, which there's a natural feeling of guilt there automatically. Oh, yeah. yeah. So one, there's a feeling of guilt because you're leaving. And two, there's a feeling of guilt because you, and there's a party that's excited to leave, not because you want to leave, but because that's you want, part of the guilt because, because you're want, excited to leave, you right? To do, yeah. You want to do what you were built to do. Like, you know, and, uh, I remember that, man, that was, we left late at night. Uh, and the way SEAL teams deployed is we don't, we don't deploy the way I tell people like the best way to look at a SEAL platoon deploying the way we used to be like a band going on tour. It was like 17 guys, two multi-packs vehicles, a bunch of kit bags. I mean, you look like a band. Like you're going Com Air, you're flying Mill Air, but you're on civilian clothes. So there's no real fanfare. There's no real visibility to it. It feels like a training trip. There's no kind of pomp and circumstance to it, um, which when you're leaving, that's fine. It, but you also come home that way too. So you don't, you don't come home to the parades and the acknowledgement and all mm-hmm. the other stuff. And it's not that you need that. It's just, you know, you walk back in the, I came back from my first deployment. I had to jump start my car because uh, I left the thing plugged in for seven months, and that'll drag the battery. And uh, I, just, I walked in like I'd come home from work that day. There was no, so it's odd. Like there's no, you gotta, you gotta build it up or diminish it on your own. But and I remember just trying to leave as quickly as I could after I hugged Amy as hard as I'd ever hugged her and kissed her stomach and I, I just couldn't look at her again i didn't want to look at her again because it was just gonna i was like i don't if i look at her again i don't know if i can leave right and then uh got back down with platoon pay beef was there um uh and uh three other guys wives were pregnant too when we left early we were we were really good platoon and got chosen to leave earlier and uh so you gotta get punished for your we timed it up to where Amy was going to have the baby, then I was going to deploy in April. And then, like, nope, January, go. And, uh, and that was my fault because I told him, I was like, hey, we need to go early. Let us go early. Let's get the work done. And um, I walked in Platoon Bay, and boy, those three guys walked in, and we were all just, like, devastated because you, you, we all knew we weren't going to be there for our kids. And then in the back of your mind, there's a part of you that's going, am I going to make it back? Right? I mean, so you're, and you're, you're trying not to think about that too much. But – you, you, you think about it a little bit, right? Um, but I had this kind of like Hollywood image of what seeing my daughter and seeing Amy again would be. And, you know, I was going to change into my summer whites and then come off the plane in uniform. And I remember as I got closer and closer to Dallas, I cared less and less about what I looked like when I saw Amy and Maddie. I just wanted to see him. I was like, man, that's a minute and a half changed into a uniform that doesn't mean anything to her that I could be holding her right and so I'll, I'll never forget we've got pictures of it and um Amy was amazing you know she'd she'd uh move back home by herself she had a baby without me and so it was it was pretty surreal it was pretty amazing and I remember when she had Maddie it affected me operationally um I had to I had to work really hard to, I've always felt like aggression 
is a good tactic. When in doubt, blitz. When in doubt, attack. You know, Marine Corps 101, ambush, fight in the ambush. The one thing they didn't think you were going to do is charge them when you get ambushed, right? And so I've always kind of had that ethos. And uh, I was always surrounded by like-minded men and women, right? When in doubt, attack. And becoming a father intellectually, I understood I was a father. Heard my baby cry on the phone, you know? And I remember having this moment where I was like, it's different now. Before Maddie, if something happened to me, to the extent Amy and I knew the reality of things, there's no, there's no victims in the sense that she knew who I was, what I was doing. I knew who I was, what I was doing. To the extent you can really know those things before you're actually doing them. And then when Maddie came along, I was like, man. And as a guy without a father, you know, losing my father very, at a relatively young age, so I did. I found myself hesitating when I never hesitated. I found myself pausing when I'd never paused. You know, football hesitation equals injury, right? Um, at, at at worst, and at at best, hesitation causes you to miss or lose. And so I remember I had to condition myself to, in some ways, to the extent I could, remain somewhat emotionally distant from the proposition of being a father, um, so I could function. And I remember I sent one of my guys home and uh, so he could be there when his baby was born. When he came back, I picked him up and we basically, he just, he's like, doing it how you did it was better. He goes, because having held a daughter now, now I know. And I was like, man, it's really interesting. So it was like this massive exhale and I knew I was getting out. Why, why didn't you? Why didn't you go back like you said? Well, I was, you know, I was a senior guy. I was a senior guy, right? And I was like, you know, hey, I'm I'm senior guy in theater on certain things, and and uh, so practically, I just, you know, and Amy and I talked about it. Amy, and I was like, babe, I, I'm I gotta stay, and and a part of me wants to stay, and there's a part of me that was like, I knew, I can't imagine what it would have been like for Amy. This is pure speculation on my part, and there's no judgment of anybody who's done it differently. This is just me. <clears throat> I, you know, James says a dual-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And I just had this nightmare of me being distracted when Amy's delivering our first daughter and, her, and them sensing it and them knowing, like, hey, Dad's here, but he's not here, right? Like, Claude's here. Like, what, a, what an insult that would have been to Amy and and, and my family, for, for me to, to have a part of me want to be somewhere else when the, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me is happening, right? So that, that was a percentage of, of the logic in my head. And then, the, but the practically, I just, <clears throat> I didn't, I, I wanted to, I was a senior guy. That's my job. My job was to be out there, right? So those are the hard yeah, decisions in that. life, though, that, that I think that really form us. As yeah. who, who we are as, yeah. as people. Hey, hey, anguish, anguish. I mean, I've seen you as a father and a husband, and you're yeah. and you're there. Yeah. And it's not, uh, you know, you can see that some people do things like that, and it's done out of guilt. I don't see that. No, no, man. What a blessing for me. And and I tell you, the fact that I have everybody laughs when they find out I have three daughters. Uh, I walked into work about seven years ago. God's and got and a you, sense you know, of humor. The office, like my office looks like a bunch of sons sons of anarchy. Actually, yeah. I mean, they're all sleeved up, just you know, beastly looking guys. And I walked in and they're like, 
I was like, what are you talking about? They're like, we're just saying how good it was that you had girls. I'm like, wow. They're like, because you'd have messed up a son. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, no, it's a compliment. Like, how is that possibly a compliment? They're like, no, 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 just, you know, you you messed up a son, but you're a great girl, dad. I'm like, it's not getting better. I was like, y'all are all fired, but come back tomorrow because I don't know how to do anything that we do, right? And uh, but but I will say, man, I needed those girls, man. Like that that they they softened me, they smoothed me. They um, I think you got a counterpoint. Brutal the counterpoint to brutality is beauty, right? And and for me being a bit of a brute and involved in brutal things, I needed that juxtaposition. Yeah, I, I want to come back to something you said that kind of ties into everything you talked about indirectly. And and you made the reference about fear being good. Yeah, fear is a signal. And yeah, let, let like, me. I look at fear. For me, fear is a traffic light. Right, that's all it is. It's a it's a it's a inflection point. Right, it triggers decision making time. Um, so fear is like saying, "Hey, I want to be fearless." Is like, "Hey, I I want to drive like we're in India." Like, there's no you just freaking you know big guy wins, right? Um, so for me, I, you know, I was a guy who dealt with fear and insecurity most of my life, putting fear in its right place. I didn't want to make it go away because I recognize it as a signal. So I, I've always taught the girls like, Hey, I don't like the word fearless. And, and, and I'm not judging it when people like the, one of the best books on the planet about the SEAL teams is fearless about Adam Brown. And, and it's just an amazing story. But I said, from a practical perspective, fearless <clears throat> is like limitless. Like there are limits. They're just not what you thought they were. Right. Um, unbroken. We're all broken and we're better for it, you know, unbeaten. That's not true. You just, you know, we're all beaten, right? So for me, and I'm a words guy, I think words matter. But so for me, fear is a signal. Then after fear, you really only have two rules, roads. You have uh, ready and you have afraid. You have a fear moment. And then not doing anything, not knowing what to do, that's when you start, you start kind of uh, drifting down towards afraid and I don't like afraid right I love ready over afraid and and ready is what happens when you have training teammates resources plans and faith right so fear crossroads afraid or ready and you can equip yourself to be ready but dulling that fear sense is I don't think is a healthy thing and it's like tell me about the most scared you ever were and how you utilize that whole concept of embrace that fear yeah. to address it. Yeah. I would tell you the most, the most fear I've ever experienced was this financial fear. Like I'm, 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 I'm kind of gifted or familiar with physical fear and I mean, I'm predisposed towards that. Being an entrepreneur is the scariest thing I've ever done. Um, so I was operating in a capacity of risk that I was familiar with. Right. And all of a sudden, you know, first and 15th and, having to generate the revenue and, and knowing that if I make a mistake, it's going to affect the households of that, you know, their bills, stuff like that. Like that, <clears throat> there have been a lot of times over these last few years where I'm like, I, it's, it's, the, it's, it's for me, it's been moments that are scarier than cracking that ramp at 20,000 feet and jumping out at night, right? Um, some of that's a byproduct of familiarity. Some of that is a byproduct of predisposition. Some of that's a byproduct of, Every time I looked to my left and right, there was someone I could ask about the risk we incurred mm -hmm. physically. And, and it's not that I didn't have those mentors available to me on the boardroom. I just didn't know who to ask or when. Or when you had a question, it was already too late, right? Because you've got this hubris or this perception that everything's going to be okay. And then there's a surprise, root canals, you know, flat tire brakes. There's just, so for me, I've experienced more fear 
on the, having been a provider and a protector. Yeah, but you, you talked about the fear of, you know, being, you know, very high up in a, you know, pitch dark night. Yeah. Uh, you got to jump out of a, of a perfectly good aircraft to, uh, to land in a place that you've never been before. Um, how did that fear that you experienced there yeah, I prepare yeah. you for that, that, that financial fear? Yeah. So, so my favorite weapon is a map. Because if I have a map, I have everything. I know where the bag guy will be. I know where I'll come in, what to bring, what to leave. I know how to get home. And if you have a map, the worst you'll ever be is wrong. But you won't be lost. And wrong and lost are different. I've been wrong and I've been lost. I was an officer, land nav. We get lost all the time. You know, it's a meme. Is that how you say it? Meme? 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 Meme. Thank you. And uh, <clears throat> so if you're lost, it's terrifying. It's paralytic, right? But if you're wrong, it's just a matter of acknowledging it, understanding where you are, where you're supposed to be, availing yourself to the wisdom of those who've been where you say you want to go or are there now, and the camaraderie of those who say you want to get there as much as you do. And so that process, the way I kind of describe my life, and I'm, I'm bringing it back to your question because it's a great question. I'm just setting a framework so that I can answer it better. Um, I kind of define my life with there's four maps that matter most to me. That one, they are generally descriptive of my life, but two, they're the they're the the, the terrain with which I make decisions, plan, and, and assess now. And those four maps are the ball field, the battlefield, the boardroom, and the breakfast table. And for seasons of my life, the ball field and the battlefield were literal. You know, being mm-hmm. a football player and, and, and being a member of the military, special operations security. And the boardroom is the business aspects, the provisional pieces, and the breakfast table is the most important. So for me, the, battle, the ball field was being an athlete now it's taking care of myself mentally and physically so i can take care of others the battlefield was being a member of the military now it's protect those who've been entrusted me morally mentally spiritually physically um the the boardroom is now provide for those who've been entrusted me and the breakfast table is the most important which is being part of a family that loves me and that matters to others right and, and i think most of life is just having exes worth going to and people worth going with and you bounce around towards jesus till you meet them now, to bring it back to your question, what it t- and it took me so much longer to figure this out than it should have. Um, what works, I mean, the boardroom and the battlefield are their maps. That's all they are, right? Like, and so what works here should work here as well. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I tell people, like, hey, a map of the ocean is called a chart, but it's still a map, right? Um, so for me, when I started to experience that, like, that, near paralyzing fear right when it came to finances is hey trust the geography like here's how you got to here's how i got to the high ground on the ball field and the battlefield i found and followed the right people to the right places and became my version of what i love most about them and i remember when i was at that like true crux of just really fear maybe the most i'd ever felt it um i kind of go okay well here's what worked on the ball field and here's what worked on the battlefield so I'm going to bet the farm it works out on the boardroom too. And I started finding and following people to the right places and became my version of what I loved about them. So, so the repetitions that I'd gone through on the ball field and the battlefield, they mapped perfectly over to the boardroom. The only thing difference is, you know, return on effort, the time it takes, right? Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because you, you, a lot of the things you talk about and I hear the achieving average and, and, you know, you don't have a lot of talents in the set and the other. But let's, let's be honest. I mean, you've achieved things that not many people can say they have. So when I say I'm, I'm, I'm 
average. I'm not not acknowledging the things I've been blessed to be able to do. I mean, I, you can will yourself to play football. You can't necessarily will yourself to – you got to have some gifts, right? Right. And, uh, now, what gifts I do have, I've, I, I maximize, like I optimize. And one of the reasons I maximize and optimize them is because I'm, I'm never as gifted as the person. Rarely am I ever as gifted as the people I'm running around with. Yeah, and I, and I think that, uh, you know, for you, that mental strength is probably – something that is what sets you aside from a lot of other people. Cause I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, you know, you're, you're in the midst of some of the greatest athletes in the world and professional yeah, football, yeah. but um, you know, you're, you're not a hall of famer, oh. but that, and, and that's, but yet you've been somewhere that very few people can yeah. say they've ever been. Yeah. I, I think I've done a good job of not limiting myself and being willing to deal with the consequences of being wrong. Yeah, that's a that's, I, a, that's I, a that's a that's a say that which, again. Which that's a big a statement. Yeah, I think I've 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 I try to do a good job of not limiting myself and just being willing to deal with the consequences of being wrong. What is it Shakespeare said? Cowards die a thousand times, but I ain't tasted death but once. Right. Um. So for me, I was like, all right, let's figure it out. Like, you know, so I, I just I've always if I do have a gift, if I do have a gift, I can take extraordinary amounts of pain. I can I can just endure tons of pain when I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Right. And I think most of winning is lasting. So if you have a high capacity for pain, you're going to last longer. And most people decide they're not going to make it instead of just holding on a little bit longer. Like we have these runs, y'all have them in the Marine Corps too, but we have these conditioning runs and they're awful because to the viewer, I'm not a gazelle. I don't know if y'all know this. I'm not a, I'm not a gifted runner. And uh, they're like, he can run for days. Like, it's not true. Um, but we have these runs that are always really long. And they do this. It's brutal. But they do this thing. You run. You make this run. It's like eight miles, soft sand, all this other stuff. And you always kind of stop at the gates to the compound. And there's always this run. It happens two or three times where in your mind you're like, almost there, almost there, almost there. And then the instructor keeps running. And dudes just turn left and they quit because it wasn't over when they thought it was going to be over. And they're like, I don't know. I don't know how far we're going to run. I don't think I can quit, run, keep running. So they just quit, right? They just, they check out. And you, during those runs, they may run maybe another 100, 200 yards. And, I, I, you know, I remember. Yeah. And, and I was just like, dude, can you imagine that? Like quitting before you're done because you don't know when you're going to be done? Like, I was like, I'm not. Well, that's that, that's where I learned the importance of making sure you keep something in the tank. Oh yeah, you know, and and uh, we, you know, our our IOC indoctrination run was like that. Yeah, it's and, all hard, and and it's and, and it's it's weird because you go through this struggle and you're like you're like, well, I want to finish as strong as I can, and then the other guy on the shoulder is saying, better reserve something yeah. in the tank, you know, and and. Well, I think it was easier for me. Like you, you, you're a little bit like, it, I was never gonna win any of those races. like i was like i came in day one they're like hey sir you're the goon so in the in, the, in training like the goon goon squad are the guys that finish last and the church is like you're you're the goon so wherever you are everyone you and everyone behind you is goon i was like well, that sucks and uh but I typically the goon I can't ever get out yeah, of this but then what would happen is like i'd keep some in the tank and towards the end i'd sprint and like goon the whole class they're like i was like yeah what's up now but the goon, when we're getting beat as goons, like it's all athletic stuff, like throw that tire. So I'd be done. Like I'd win the first 
goon squad thing, like carry that telephone pole. I'm like, all right, I'm look like look like shooting fishing quest, man. I carry this thing. Right. So all the goon beatings advantaged me athletically. And uh but I was never it was I was never thinking I was gonna win any of those races. I want you to imagine yourself at the church. Mm-hmm. You are at the uh, at the pulpit. Mm-hmm. You're looking out over the congregation, and there's a coffin mm-hmm. there at the uh, at the altar. You're the one that's in the coffin, mm-hmm. and you're the one that's delivering the eulogy. Mm. What are you saying about Clint Bruce? Done. Just that simple. Yeah, and everything until that date is not done yet. And so done, and and like with a, n- a not knowing the circumstances, just trusting is not because of my stupidity or anything like that. No, no, if you I'm, just if, I, if I'm in that box, I'm like done. You, you've you've lived your life. Yeah, what done. what are people going to eulogize about Clint Bruce? Man, I don't know. I just I just know what I would say is done, and I'd smile while doing it. Um, I think people can say a lot of things like you borrowed a dollar from me for lunch every day in high school, compounded interest. That's probably like $37,000. I owe that person now. Right. Like, um, I, I want them to say something. I, I don't, I don't want to script it for them. I just want to be, I want to be someone that someone that most people have something to say about. That's generally positive. Right? But, uh, yeah, man. And what are those things? I don't know. That's uh, well. Uh, what would you say? I mean, like I, I don't know. I don't. I, I. I'd want them to be virtuous, and I'd love for people to say Clint made me feel dot 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 with it being positive. Like that's what I love doing, man. I love. I I want people to see in them what I see in them most of the time. Like hey, if you could see in you what I see in you, you you you'd like yourself a little bit more, right? And I love that, man. I, I love helping people realize their capacity for heroism um, on their maps that matter most of them. It's so neat for me uh, to watch someone see themselves the way I see them. Um, Would you, do you think you will be measuring yourself as success as a human being? uh, Listen, yeah, I mean, if Ultimately, I try to measure myself and the positive impact made in other people's lives. Like in, in and I and I I love doing that, and I try to do it, and I may have done it once or twice. And so, yeah, I mean, that's I think. Um, hey, the world will tell me what I suck at. Like that's their job. That's the world's job. Like I'm like, you know, I. But for me, it's like I, I just don't spend. I don't spend. I don't. For me, there's a line between introspection and isolation. I run around with a bunch of big, tough guys, and we tell each other we love each other, right? You know, I mean, so I just, I've, I've been very fortunate to, I, I wouldn't say fortunate, I, I'm very strategic, and I want to be around people who let me know my value to them and how I can get better and, and want the same from me. So, I guess. I don't know if I'm really answering your question, but that's the closest thing I got. You're fine. Good. Last question. Yeah. Who are you carrying? Man, 
uh, what I said at the very beginning, it's, you know, when I said at the very beginning, it was the sons and daughters of fallen Navy SEALs. It is, it is, it is, it's expanded it. You know, it's the sons and daughters and wives and mothers and fathers of the men and women that we've lost. <clears throat> and I've also started, I want to carry the people who don't know if they can make it any further. And I want to carry them long enough and far enough to where they realize they can. Not only can they make it, but they can carry others too. Like, I love, like, hey, man, you don't get to tell yourself. You don't get to. You know, we have these friends, and they go, man, maybe everybody. <clears throat> I think virtuous people want to count more than they cost. And the problem with being lost is when you feel lost for long enough, you'll start telling yourself that virtue will reemerge with this deeply flawed logic, and I'll say, maybe everybody would be better if I stopped costing them so much. When I tell people, it's like, hey, you, don't, you can ask that question, but you don't get to answer it for me. Like, that's my question to answer. And there's no scenario where I'm better without you. So hang in there. The next wind's coming in some way, right? And I think that's how we should use our time. I think when you've lost people, and this is one of the things I always loved about Carrie Lowe and everybody that was kind of attracted to it, because it's so much bigger than me and Steve and, and, and Coleman. I mean, it's just it's this amazing thing, is the worst thing you could ever do is waste time those you miss most no longer have. Don't waste it. And, and I, I, I believe the only way you waste time is when you're lost. When you're wrong, you don't waste time. And most of the time, I feel like being lost is a choice. You're just choosing not to build a map, find a map, use someone else's map to make it work. Yeah, I remember when I was going through all my training, there was a question, you know, through our propaganda periods. Yeah. Um, and the quote was brought up about, you know, Ronald Reagan saying a lot of people in this life have to worry they about. go through life yep. wondering if they ever made a difference. Mm -hmm. And he said, Marines don't have that Marines problem. Marines never have that problem. Well, I will say to you, sir, that I think you fit into that category. Uh -oh. You've made a difference thank in you. a lot of lives with a lot of people. That's fun. That's and neat. I, and we're not done yet. So thank you for that. Yet. And there's work to do. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Lessons from the Front. If this resonated with you in the least, please subscribe. And please, please, please share it with at least one person. These are the stories that make us uniquely American. These are the stories that preserve the integrity 